Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hey guys, I just wanted to let you know that this podcast is presented by mybookie.ag and that if you use the promo code MATTEK, M-A-T-T-E-K, that you will get a 50% deposit bonus on your first deposit. And given that you are a listener to this podcast, I would assume you're relatively knowledgeable about sports and I would trust you to try your edge on the online sports book. You can lay down some money and get in on the action at one of the safest online sports books in the world. It's the only one that I am currently using. You can wager on all sorts of different outcomes on mybookie.ag, soccer, football, any major league, esports. You can even create your own player props, which is useful for me because if you know anything about me, I do enjoy uh, a good player prop. So if you deposit using the promo code MATTEK, M-A-T-T-E-K, you get a you get a 50% de- bonus when you deposit and i will add this for listeners of the takecast if you deposit using the promo code matic and you send proof of it to me on twitter i will follow you on twitter and you can have access to me via dms whenever you want that's the that's the takecast bonus that i'm adding in association with the mybookie.ag deposit bonus now let's get back to the show Hello everyone and welcome to episode 23 of The Take Cast. My name is Davis Maddock. You can find me on Twitter at Davis Maddock. On this episode of the show, I had Charlotte Wilder from Sports Illustrated on the show to have what I think is a really meaningful discussion about gender in both sports and sports journalism. I think that she provided a really valuable insight on the topic, and I think that uh, even if it's a little bit different than the normal subject material of this podcast, most of you will still enjoy it. Uh, If you do, please leave a rating and review on iTunes. You have no idea how helpful it is. It's huge, probably the best way to support the show uh, other than, you know, going with our sponsors. Uh, And without further ado, let's go ahead and get into the interview. All right. Hello, everyone. I would like to welcome Charlotte Wilder from Sports Illustrated to the show. She is here to have a discussion with us about the ethics of women in sports journalism and uh, other very important topics as we try to uh, address on the show. Charlotte, welcome. Thank you so much uh, for joining. And before we get into it, I I want you to tell people about uh, the Wilder Project and all of the other (laughs) expeditions on the internet. Oh man, yeah, I'm like in an internet rabbit hole of my own weirdness right now. Um, no, I, so yeah, I'm a senior writer and a apparently television host um, <laughs> at Sports Illustrated. Uh, I have a show called The Wilder Project, um, which comes out every week, which has been really fun. We just uh, taped our third episode. So that, um, and I write stories and I'm producing, I think I'm working on like four documentaries right now, actually, um, which is and by I think, I mean, I think that's how many I know I'm working right. on. So. Right. You know you're working on some documentaries. Right. It's just unclear how right. many. My brain is like going in a lot of different directions. But yeah, if you're interested in following my trash tweets, it's at the wilder things. So that's where you can find all of it. 
They're pretty good as far as trash tweets go. Thanks, man. That means a lot. I'm not I'm not shy about the unfollow or the mute button and I've never uh-huh. even been I've never even been tempted. So that you're, really? you're well above the Mendoza line. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> that's like that's like the highest compliment I could receive. I've never even thought about muting you as like the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. <laughs> I'm pretty sure most of my tweets are just shouting into a void. Like I don't think there's really? anyone that actually reads them. Everybody's just like shouting into a void all the time. That's why we're on there, right? That's what we, I mean. Really, that's what hosting a podcast is like in the year of our Lord, twenty eighteen. <laughs> like, how many how many podcasts do you listen to a week? Like, how many uh, are you subscribed to? Actually, I'm subscribed to a fair amount because I I sort of go in and out. Like, I'm not I'm not very good about being a loyal listener, but I go through periods of time where I listen a lot to one, or I you know. If I have friends who have one out, I'll listen to that and then forget and then go back. Um, so I'm pretty good about liking and subscribing. I'm less good about actually listening. Well, everyone who listens to this and you like and subscribe, but please don't listen because all the rest of the shows are going to be bad except for this one. This one will be good. You can <laughs> listen to the true. end of this one. It's all going to be great. It's going to be great. So uh, let's just uh, let's go ahead and get into it. Everyone does have a story on how they found sports, why they chose to embrace it, how they chose to make the arena their career, which I normally think is pretty interesting because everyone in the United States, at least someone tries to indoctrinate them into sports. But the, the choice to make it a career is normally <laughs> I found them to be pretty interesting. A lot of people have. Totally. Yeah. So what's your what's your story sorry. on what no what's your story on why you chose to you know pursue this and get yelled at on the internet for a living? <laughs> um, well, it's funny. I was not a sports reporter. Um, I didn't come up through journalism school. I didn't come up through sports journalism. Certainly, um, I knew I wanted to be a writer, but I went to a small liberal arts school, um, you know, up in Maine, Colby College, which I love. But you know, we I was a history major with a creative writing minor and majored in poetry. You know, like it, it was not. I didn't come from uh, a strict set of rules on how you do this. Um, yeah, I, I also majored in creative writing. Clearly, I'm doing a lot without really worth. <laughs> wild degree. <laughs> Me too. Well, yeah, I did write a screenplay the other day that went on the internet. So I guess I, I think I actually probably of everyone who took a creative writing class and is not like a novelist, I'm probably like using it close to what it will I mean, not at all what it was intended for, but like it's come in handy. At least putting um, it in practice. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, so I was working, I uh, got my start at a cooking magazine. And from there I went to boston.com, which is um, a digital part of the Boston Globe. And uh, I was doing, I wasn't really doing sports stuff, um, but got hired at USA Today as a sports writer uh, for the win. And, um, you know, I, I just sort of jumped into the fire. Um, I I love sports because, you know, I, I've always liked sports, but I didn't grow up a diehard fan or anything. And I think that that makes me actually, I think that's been to my benefit because it means that, you know, I can see the things that to me are surprising and to people who've grown up being obsessed with sports, they're like, well, that's just how we've always done it and I'm like well you know like that's weird and then when you write about how weird it is people are like oh yeah that actually is good you know just sort of I I see things that um because I'm coming at it or you know I'm not an outsider anymore it was I definitely know way too much about sports now yeah you're Um, you're in it now it's yeah but like I can still sort of flip back into that outsider mindset I think which is um helpful you know like even even little things like on the show um you know if someone who isn't a huge sports fan is watching I'll like identify an athlete I'll be like you know you know this person person plays for this team as opposed to just saying like this person's last name and it's things that I think people within the industry sometimes get caught up in in knowing stuff or proving they know stuff and I'm like 
it's really cool if you don't. Very true. And I think I think that actually is just like a general barrier for why um, a lot of sports media is inaccessible. Because if mm-hmm. it's if it's from like a more high minded place, like something that's kind of more analytical or about the future of the sport or the evolution of whatever sport it is, I kind of think that very rarely would those journalistic stories really give uh, an entry to like a non-educated person. It would be like immediately going into like a 400 level class right. and, and not getting a 100 level introduction to like sports or whatever. Right. And like, I think something I try to do is make my stories accessible, you know, whether and interesting to someone, if you are at the 400 level or at the 100 level. And I think that that's sort of a fine balance. Um, but I do feel pretty strongly that it, it's fairly important. Yeah, I agree. So uh, the reason that I invited, not the, not the only reason, but one of the reasons I, I invited you on the show was, you know, I've, I've been doing this for a couple months and obviously mm-hmm. zero, zero female guests, no, no <laughs> real conversation about why that was happening. And, you know, I, I want to provide some semi-intelligent discourse. And I think it's really reasonable to talk about the conversation about women in sports mm-hmm. journalism and, and having like three white guys on a podcast to talk about that. <laughs> not conducive and not the right way to go about it either. And the thing that really got me thinking about the conversation was that awful Edward or tweet <laughs> where he was just like, I can't, I have to tell these young men that a woman is going to get their job simply yeah. because they're a woman. And like, it's, it's like, that's clearly not true. But I think that attitude is one, much more prevalent than anyone would probably like to admit. Mm-hmm. And two, really evidence of this deeply problematic structure wherein men really just try to keep women out of the sports conversation as a whole. And so the first part of this question is, do you find that to be like 10% of the response to your work, 30%, mm-hmm. 50%, like your interaction with people to the work that you do? That's a really great question. And I'm really glad that you are talking about this. And, and, you know, I, I think it's what I appreciated when you asked me to come on was like, you know, I don't want you to get, I don't want you to feel like you're the token woman or like pigeonholed into talking about this. Um, but, but, you know, I'm in this space and um, it's 90% male. Um, and I think that, you know, as a woman in this industry, especially someone who's outspoken about how we need to make it more accessible to women, um, I feel like I have a responsibility to talk about it. And I think that the only way that we can keep pushing forward is if you do talk about it. And um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be here. I think that, I think that the response to my work, um, this is something I think about a lot. I don't know whether it's because I'm not, you know, huge enough. I don't have my following is like close to 30,000, which isn't in the scheme of Twitter. Like it's, it's a fair amount, but I'm, I'm not like close to a million. I'm not like 500,000, which I think that as you get more and more visible, you get more and more shit. Um, I think that as you go to bigger outlets, like I did see a sharp increase in the negativity from when I was at SB nation to, um, sports people see it. So you get a more varied response, but for the most part, I've been really lucky in that the response to my work is largely and overwhelmingly positive. Um, and I think that there are a few reasons for that. I, I'm not, I, most of mine is fairly lighthearted. Um, you know, I think that I write about things and hopefully there's a serious side to everything I write, but I'm not writing about um, domestic violence. I'm not tackling these huge issues of race. Of course, these things will play into my work when the story has to do with it, but 
you know, there are sports writers out there who are devoting themselves to these really thorny issues. And, you know, their mentions are just garbage fires because people take it out on them. And I also think that I have a, you know, a sort of personality online where, you know, hopefully that it, I, it is authentic and it is who I am. Um, I think that I have sort of like, I like messing around with people. Like I, I'm sort of there to have fun. And I think that people follow that lead a lot. Um, and that was a pretty conscious decision because I was like, you know, something I seem to be good at is connecting with people and, you know, making them laugh for a second. And there's this, I actually, I used to feel sort of like, you know, what are you doing? Like, is this, is this worthwhile stuff? Like I'd look at journalist yeah. friends who are, you know, breaking these stories and, and fighting the good fight in, especially in this political climate. And um, I was like, well, man should I be doing that and then I had I got this email from a guy who was like hey um you know I followed you on Twitter for a while I just want you to know like my sister died this weekend and the only time I smiled was like reading your tweet and I was like oh whoa like it I real there's a huge responsibility to me to to do that to you know to make people laugh like and if that's what I happen to be good at for whatever reason you know hopefully I can I have a few sort of heavier things coming out soon that I'm hopeful will be successful too but like that I got to kind of lean in and and I have and I think that that's why the response is is largely positive um, to to my work a trend that I've really noticed is the more serious accounts kind of the more now, I don't want to say sanctimonious because I think that the points that a lot of these people are making are good. But um, for example, something I've really noticed is there's been this real push by people on really just like basketball, Twitter and Jenner to really, really push the WNBA this year. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't know if it's targeted. I don't know if it's a natural evolution or whatever, but people are like horrible about the WNBA. Like, just like legitimately terrible. Like people are mean yeah. on the internet about it in this like way that doesn't really make sense to me because it, it's certainly better than college basketball, which is like horrible basketball to watch. No one's any good. No right. one can make any shots. Right. And so it's to me like I want to I want to like read a book about <laughs> like a sociological study on why people hate women's basketball so much. Well, you know, it it's makes no because- sense to me. It's because we're women. Like it, it really, it's a societal thing where sports have been such a male space. And, you know, it's like you have your man cave where you get to get away from your wife and, you know, she comes in to bring you the chips and dip and then it's you and your buddies, you know, drinking beer. Like that is a large mentality that is still out there. And I think that people get really threatened. I think dudes get really threatened when they see women coming into their space. Like I get that even, you know, they'll be like, like someone just tweeted at me before I I got on this call with you. And they were like, um, I had said, I had a tweet that said the Yankees signed um, a player when they actually traded for him. And I knew that, but I said signed because it's a tweet. And I like, I just like said the wrong word. Right. And people are, you know, like most people thought the tweet was funny, but then like a few people were like, um, they actually traded for him. And then one guy and I, so I tweeted something like, I know it was a slip of it. Like, shut up basically and this guy tweeted like oh my girlfriend makes that mistake all the time it must be a girl and so it's like there is this mentality of you know women inherently don't understand sports women don't like them as much women and that's just not true but it also it translates to women's sports you know guys are like this is not all not hashtag not all men not all men Um, but, but but like there it's it's the same way with anything it's like it's why there aren't you know why women are kept out of the c-suite it's why you know america was not ready for female 
president. It's like women succeeding and being in positions of power can be very threatening to to people who are too small-minded to realize that it's really not a problem. It's actually wonderful. There's also this really interesting dichotomy I've noticed kind of like over like I would say the last like eight years where the general public and men really have no problem supporting U.S. women's athletes. So like Mm -hmm. Olympics time, people love U.S. women's soccer. Like they sell out everywhere they go. Um, They're always very competitive and people... I, I don't know if I've ever seen anyone other than like, you know, a, a couple random people shouting into a void on the internet, criticizing the U.S. women's team in any sport, right. really. But right. then when it comes to club level, it's like completely different. And like also really in the United States, women's club level sports for anything outside of basketball kind of hardly exists. Like it's there for um, soccer. But other than that, it's kind of like, it's kind of very small. And I'm, I want your thoughts on why that dichotomy exists. Well, it's really interesting when you, when you sent me that question um, before this is to think about it, something we'd be talking about. I was like, I hadn't thought of that. I was like, whoa, that's a really great point. Um, And as I've been thinking about it, um, you know, over the past two days, I, I think that it might be because that was sort of where things were socially acceptable before. Um, You know, I I think that with the Olympics, you know, there have been women competing for a fair amount of time, you know, um, I think with, with when you put nationalism behind anything, it kind of can transcend some of that. So you can have dudes who are like, oh, I'm cheering for the U.S. Like, sure, it's women, but like, it's USA. <laughs> like, yeah. there's a masculinity, I think, that attaches itself to that nationalist um, mantra of, you know, that it, it sort of transcends women. But then you have you know, the WNBA and, uh, or, you know, women's club soccer team. And it's like, why are you in our space? You know, it's like, you're not supposed to be here. Like this is for, this is, this is a male space. And um, there's just still so much work to be done in terms of supporting that and in terms of breaking through that. Like, I just find it fascinating. Like Alexis Morgan and like, Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I guess I would assume she's the most popular U.S. women's player. They're like Megan Rapinoe is probably close. Mm -hmm. Like they have like legitimately decorated club career and I think you would be hard pressed even even women U.S. soccer fans I think you would be hard pressed for like you go up to someone on the street who's walking into a U.S. women's game and be like what club team do any of these players play for and I don't think people would know which is fascinating because in in men's soccer it's very much the other way where like club oftentimes comes before country no for sure and it's it's interesting you know when I was um when I was little I was obsessed you know I played soccer and I was obsessed with the 1998 World Cup team like that someone asked me like what's my favorite sports memory and I I can't remember being as euphoric over a sports thing as I was when the U.S. women won yeah when Brandi Chastain made the made the PK that's like that's like the height I remember like jumping yeah right Mm -hmm. like I remember jumping on my friend's couch like freaking out and then we all went out into the backyard and played soccer and I was just elated it was like I was high and I was 10 um you know, nine years old, whatever. And I just like, I, I wish that that were the case. I really do. I, th- I think I was thinking about this too, where, you know, in terms of being in this space as a woman, like I think that once you sort of make it to a certain degree, you do kind of become, if not a role model, an example of what's possible. Um, and I take that very seriously. And I was sort of thinking like, who are women in a space that I didn't think women or that, you know, if I hadn't seen the women win. If I hadn't seen Brandy Chastain rip her shirt off, I don't think I would have known that like that was a possibility. Yeah. You know? And and so it's just so huge for girls to see. It is so huge to see people in positions that 
you know, to show that it is possible, even if they're not a lot of people. And so I wish that on the club level, it, it were more prevalent. Yeah. So back to uh, to our conversation, um, there has been, I would say, like last five to seven years, a pretty good trend of people like uh, Mina Kimes, Rachel Nichols, Ramona Shelbourne, yourself, you know, these these lead writer, these these people who are doing work in sports, right? Just, mm-hmm. just sports, period, not women's sports, just sports that it's not about being gendered. Like mm-hmm. the work, the work is not gendered. It's just about reporting. It's about analyzing. And that's and that's all it's about. But I would say that's more an exception to the rule than the rule itself. And so I guess my my question to you is, you know, where do you think that pressure to keep the work of women in sports journalism gendered is coming mm-hmm. from? Do you think that that's, uh, you know, a top level editorial decision? Is that from the readership? Is that from? I the see. I see what this. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I. No, I don't think in a lot of cases it is deliberate. I think it is, um, you know, I I, I don't, just because I work in sports and I'm a woman, I don't think that I should be required to write about women's sports. I I think that um, women tend to write about women's sports because they're the ones who tend to be like, we need to fix this. We need to care about that. We need to care about this. We need to push a conversation. We need to cover it so that people talk about it because talking about things follows coverage. You know, it's not the other way around. There's, it's not that there isn't, coverage of women's sports because people don't care about women's sports. It's because we haven't built that up enough. And I think it's been really exciting to see people online, you know, making this big push to support the WNBA because I think that that really does drive viewership and it really makes people care. And um, it's on the media to cover things that represent more people than, you know, just white dudes. And um, which, you know, the the industry largely is. And I think that there are a lot of men in positions of editorial power who are, who are making really smart decisions in terms of hiring women, in terms of um, directing coverage. I think there are a lot who are not. I think it's exciting to see publications led by women, like, you know, my old boss at SB Nation, Elena Bergeron, she's editor-in-chief, um, you know, Allison Overholt at ESPN Magazine, um, you know, there's so many more who are who are now in these positions where I think that that you, you start to see things branch out when when you get different viewpoints. Um, but yeah, again, I think that it's largely societal and um, it's it's cool to me to get to exist in this space, not as you know, not just as a woman in this space, which I'm very aware that I am, but also as like a sports writer or, you know, someone who's on Twitter or has a show or like talks about what any dude would talk about. Um, and I think that there's, I feel like there's a real position of power that comes with that, that I'm, I'm really, it's very cool to me that that is the case. And it's because of people like, you know, Rachel and Ramona and Mina and Katie Nolan and, um, you know, all these Doris Burke, like j- just really trailblazing people um, who showed me that that was possible. Katie Nolan gets it worse than anyone on the internet. In my experience, she gets she gets like the most harshest unfair criticism of like any person that exists. It's like her and Bomani Jones get like the most people whose like Twitter accounts just exist to tear them down. Yeah. And I think it's again, I think it's people who are threatened, you know, like they are they are two very um, smart, very funny, very can be very cutting with their wit, you know, like they're really sharp and um, incredible role models for me both of them um and friends of mine which you know i feel lucky to be able to say but yeah it's just people people are terrible (laughs) people are terrible I do think, though, that last question, really, it's, it is more about society than it is about sports or people For who sure. watch sports. Because, like, I would say, you know, when you go to go click and read on an article, 
by Zach Lowe. Like you're not thinking about the fact that he's actively a man. You're you're not right. you're not reading this under the prism of like, oh, this is a man. You're just like, this is an article about sports, and I'm gonna read it. Right. Whereas whereas almost always just the societal prism of of engaging with work by a woman. Like even even in like just like if I'm reading a book, probably mm-hmm. I'm not noting that it's being written by a man. But if I would read a, a you know a fiction book authored by a woman, that's the lens under which I'm yeah. doing. I mean, I don't know. I'm not a genius. I don't have the I don't have the solution to you know, five thousand years of like Western evolution of. Right. <laughs> but it is it is fascinating that we're kind of in like this micro evolutionary period of like humanity where being on our screens and stuff all the time is just everything's happening so fast. We're going mm-hmm. through phases that last like eighteen months, and then it's on to something new but gender roles are kind of more entrenched now than ever which yeah is no I think that's a really good point and and I think that that's something that I'm aware of to um, you know the the default is still male right and mm-hmm. so um, you look at something and it's like yeah okay well you know a woman wrote this basketball article here's a basketball article by a woman and I think that that's starting to shift a little bit like I think that with the work people have been doing um, it is becoming less of a thing or it's like oh whoa here's a great Mina Kimes article she's so good it's not like oh here's a Mina Kimes article she's a woman it's like yeah you know you get psyched about and I I think unfortunately I think that it takes women a little bit longer to prove themselves in a very male space um but I think that it you know it is possible uh, but it, it is it's super interesting I think that you know something I think about a lot Hey everyone, I wanted to take a minute to tell you about Apex Fantasy Leagues, the best place to play online season-long fantasy football for money. There is a skill-based format where you play two games per week, and there's industry-leading payouts where Apex actually adds money to the payout pool. Uh, They really ensure that the best fantasy players get the good return on their investment. Apex hosts 12-team PPR leagues that provide a variety of drafting options, live or email, snake draft or auction. You also have the flexibility to sign up for a league just hours before the draft. On top of that, Apex pretty often puts extra money from their profits into the prize pool to make sure that leagues get filled. Apex also offers dynasty leagues uh, in a variety of formats. And finally, Apex is the place to play if you want to win big money in a format that mitigates randomness. Not only does Apex have the highest payouts in the whole industry on a percentage basis, but it also features both blind bidding, free agent acquisition budgets, so that all free agent acquisitions are fair in two matchups per week, one versus a head-to-head opponent and the other versus the league average, so that you know you don't get screwed when your opponent has the most points and you have the second most points. You're still going to come out of that week with a win. You can compete every week without worrying about arbitrary strength of schedule. Give it a try. I promise you will love it. Go to apexfantasyleagues.com today and sign up. And now let's get back to the show. And so I, I'm definitely guilty of this, but like pretty much every time I have someone on this podcast, we end up talking about like what sports might look like 20, 30, 40 years from now. And really mm-hmm. even more than that, the way in which we will engage in the content of sports, because it's sort of my belief that football as structured now, like it's, it can't exist this way for even like 10 more years. Mm-hmm. I just don't think with all like the injuries and like how like blatantly like kind of racist and stuff <laughs> the owners are like, it's just, it's just kind of brutal. Mm-hmm. And basketball is evolving into this, like men's basketball is really evolving into this thing where like one or two teams will be competitive every year. Every team right. plays the same. Baseball is dying. Like my my long term theory is 2050, 
soccer is the most popular sport in the Western world, like hands down. Yeah. But this conversation up until this point of this podcast has not included women's sports. And I actually feel pretty bad because I kind of think that that is, that's like a, this really unexplored avenue. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I don't I I don't know. But I would assume that a lot of these problems that exist in men athletics where there's like no parity and the owners are horrible. I'm thinking a lot of that stuff might not exist in women's sports. But again, I could. No, that's really interesting. I I I certainly what sports looks like in, you know, 2050, it it is my hope that women's sports plays a much more significant role. Um, I think that there's a ton of growth there. I think when you look at leagues like the NFL, which is just, you know, putting its feet in its mouth every other second and you know as you said the racism the head injuries like there is a lot stacked against it and um, unfortunately i maybe i'm just very cynical but i think that there's just so too much money and you know in in the sport for it to change significantly unless something happens and and i don't know what that something is you know if players decide to just stop playing um people talk about youth football is like well if the kids stop playing then that's when it will start declining more and there will always be poor people who who will risk the head injury for yes. like the the 0.1% chance of being a multi-millionaire football player so i actually, right. like honestly all that will do is like like rich like middle upper class people's kids will stop playing football but lower lower class people's kids will not yeah no i think that's exactly right and and so to me it's sort of i think the nfl is going to be around a lot longer um, which is like this gross like gladiator thing where like the middle class like watches the peasants kill each other for their yes. amusement and like no one no one wants to think about their sports enjoyment that way and you know obviously most of these athletes do make millions of dollars but like it, it really at the core of it like that's the t that's what we're watching it's good um, i mean yeah it it it's a real problem for me morally, you know, and at the same time, like I really do love watching football. And so I'm just like, yeah, it's great. But also know. it's horrible. I know. And uh, it is. And, and I think you have to acknowledge that. I, I do think that, um, you know, in terms of, I think soccer, if the U S can get its act together, does have a chance of actually being um, effective, but you know, you soccer among kids is down. Like, more kids are playing baseball. And I think part of that is because the MLB has made this huge push for youth baseball. Um, there's this big initiative called play ball or whatever it's called. Um, and, you know, U S soccer has been in such disarray. They, there hasn't been quite as much of a concerted effort. So if they fix that, you know, yeah, I think that soccer could be huge. I, I just feel like, man, I don't know. I, I think my main thing is that I really am hopeful that women's sports are, are bigger by then. Um, and hopefully we're seeing a trend that that will be the case. Um, I'd love to see like a softball league really take off. Like women's, women's softball is just so fun to watch. Um, yeah. women's softball, I guess it's only softball, but you know, whatever. It's not like a men's rec league. Um, but yeah, so that's, a, that's an interesting question. I probably have to think about that a bit more, but sports media, what is media going to look like? I mean, yeah. just anything, just anything to get people to like, not think about the fact that the world's falling down around right? them. Like people, right? people just want screens. They want something to click on. Totally. I mean, you know, hopefully we won't all be working for like robots by then and these jobs will still exist and maybe someone will have figured out a way to bring back some of these newspapers. I don't know. Um, but it, it, it's, it certainly can feel bleak. And then I think that there's also the fact that people are always going to want stuff to read and watch. So it's sort of this dichotomy of like, how did those two things continued and you know like you need to be able to make money but like people want this so i think that's sort of the pu push and pull i mean there will there will probably continue to be more and more money 
in entertainment and in content creation than like ever before. Like it'll just continue to grow. Like that's got to be the, one of the fastest growing industries the last 10 years is just like content, just anything to distract people, anything to keep them engaged with their stuff. But at the same time, you know, then like you see these huge cuts across newsrooms. So, you know, it's just like, we got to invest more in like reporting out the truth as we do into, you know, entertaining people. Um, but that's the, that's the thing though. There's probably less money in like news and exactly and delivery exactly. than ever because like that's, that's not popular. People don't. <laughs> people's the way that people have chosen to engage with like this like horrible political spectrum where like the republicans are just like real life criminals and then the democrats are like will beat you in a morally just way and then they just lose and the ball gets pulled away from them for the 40th time in a row people just disengage they just they just unplug from the cycle entirely because it's too much and it's too depressing yeah yeah uh what are we gonna do (laughs) who could say who could say Um, before we get out of here, do you want to, yeah. do you want to plug anything specifically? Do you want to plug anything? Um, well, you guys should all watch my TV show, <laughs> The Wilder Project on SITV. Uh, you do have to subscribe. It's five bucks a month for SITV, but that's like less than a beer or like two cups of coffee. So I think it's worth a fun show. Um, Where are you getting coffee that $5 is two cups? Two cups. Um, this is a $6 Starbucks drink and I get this like every morning. Oh no, Davis, come on, man. I know. Um, yeah, well maybe my, I'm friends with my coffee people now. So maybe they just. There you go. <laughs> um, but no, thank you so much for having me. This is great. And uh, I think it's it's important to keep talking about these things. Thank you for coming on. I hope uh, the mentions are not too savage. I hope the at report- <laughs> Are reasonable. Everyone, if you listen to the show, please uh, represent me well. Don't be a dick. <laughs>